Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the Book of Acts. Today we discuss the new governor, Festus, and the consequential political climate in which Paul finds himself. Additionally, James discusses the arrival of Agrippa II, which foreshadows Paul's testimony to him, which we will consider next week, God willing. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seafire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Okay, Acts chapter 25, we're going to read till verse 22. Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those, who have, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before, before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And, so, and after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prison by Felix about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face, and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the king to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed but had some questions about him, uh, about, against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be, res- I'm sorry, when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow he said, you shall hear him. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Father, full of grace and truth, we ask now as we consider your servant Paul, as he continues through injustice after injustice, evil counsel after evil counsel, I ask that you give us wisdom, you give us insight to see your faithfulness and your work in and through your son, Paul, that we might have that same self-glory 
in our own minds, our own hearts, and in our own souls, that we might be bold and witness likewise, that you might be glorified. In the Son of your name, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. So, before we even start, remember last week, the chapter 24 ended with Felix's ouster, Festus, coming in, right? So he's new to the scene. He's new there. Now, when he takes over, this man is at least very judicial. He, he's better than Felix. Let's put it that way. Remember the account of Felix and how wicked he was. Even historical narratives talk about that. Festus, not as much. Festus, not as much. I mean, there is his wife, Drusilla, I, I don't want to get into too much detail, but basically he's, he's judici judicious in, in this respect. He, he, he's now a new governor over this province, so he immediately, three days later, he immediately goes to Jerusalem to, you know, set the scene to, you know, he's the new governor, so to meet them and establish his governorship. Remember, we had talked about the, uh, that Nero replaced Felix with Festus, right? I do want to say, just very briefly, <coughs> Nero, the first five years of Nero's reign, actually, he was fine. He was a just ruler. He was actually advised by a man named Seneca. I don't know if you remember this, but his brother, Galileo, was the one who delivered Paul in Corinth from the hands of the mob there who wanted to kill him. And briefly, I just want to say, Seneca and his brother Galileo was killed, they were executed, after Nero decided he wanted to be evil. And tradition says, at the same time, Paul and Peter were martyred. Okay, so Nero, at this time, is a just king. But again, as I've told you, the anti-Semitism is starting to grow, okay? Which we will see in this man, Festus, okay? But, but the anti however, he's married to a Jewish, Jewess. Remember, Drusilla is a Jewish, Jewess which was in the, in the previous chapter. However, so it's just important to recognize at the outset. So, but right now, he's going to go immediately to Jerusalem. So, now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. This is their chief concern. You know, here's the new ruler. We couldn't get a, our, our way with Felix. Now, Roman... Okay, let me also say... The Roman government, again, the, the, the biggest thing, their biggest focus, their biggest objective was peace, was peace. Justice wasn't as important. So, so Festus is trying to be pragmatic here, okay? Throughout this account, he's trying to be pragmatic. He needs the, the remember, he was replaced, or, or he replaced Felix because of all the mobs and really all the, 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 disruptions by the Jews. So basically, Festus is trying to quell that and quell that immediately. The first thing that the Jews want is the head of Paul. Okay, so that's immediately what they go to first. Um, so they and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush, ambush along the road to kill him. Remember, they had planned that before, and those men, four, oh, about 40 men, made a vow to not eat or drink until they killed Paul. 
and it might be might very well be like we had mentioned it could very well be that they were you know the priests you know forgave them for that and until a better time until more opportune time or they pass and now there are other men ready and willing to do the same thing but again this council this this religious leadership this group of of, of religious leaders who are supposed to be devoted to god and righteousness in that respect are determined to unjustly kill Paul without a true trial. Every trial that they've had, they have not been able to, to convict him because there's nothing that Paul is doing deserving of death. We've seen that over and over and over again. But they know, they know, now we have this new governor. Now we know we have this new governor and basically we know he's going to seek a favor from us. And this is what we want. We want Paul to be delivered. Okay. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. So, Festus says, no, we'll go ahead and judge him in Caesarea. What's likely the case is, remember, the commander, Lysias, in Jerusalem, had sent that letter to Felix. He, he has access to the royal archives, so he probably saw that letter about the, the Jews you know, waiting in ambush. They wanted to kill Paul, so he probably knows that's going on here, so he's being slick here. He's like... No, no, I'm going back to Caesarea. That's, that's where he should be tried anyway. So why don't you all just come along with me? You know, so basically, again, the same thing that the commander had done to kind of deceive, rightly, the Jews to send Paul safely to Caesarea. Basically, Festus is doing something likewise. He's not, however, we'll see, out of his political pragmatism, he does, he, he will ask Paul if he wants to go back to Jerusalem to be judged, but we'll get there. Okay, so... Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So basically, all, whoever's the leaders, whoever has actual authority, come on down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, and so again, he doesn't waste any time. He, he's immediately addressing this, this problem. Okay. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. Now we will see next week his whole defense before Felix. We've seen brief accounts of his defense, and I've mentioned that, again, these are all, these are all very brief synopses of what actually occurred. So this is obviously very brief, brief because basically Luke is just saying they came down and stood about, laid many serious complaints against Paul, probably most of which he's, they've already been uh, saying. You know, remember Tertullus, the attorney, the orator in, in the last week's account, same thing. They're just offering the same thing, which they cannot prove, and Paul knows it. We saw that in the last account. And so Paul, again, this is just a very brief account of what he had actually said in his actually defense. But again, this is just reflective of every other defense he had given. Neither against the law of the Jews, so basically not against the Jews either, nor against the temple either, nor against Caesar. I, have I offended in anything at all? So this is a complete unjust deal. I, I've been prisoner for over two years because of Felix's political pragmatism. This is unjust. I am being held in custody unjustly. I have not offended the law of the Jews, haven't offended the temple, haven't offended the law of Rome. This, so, that's what he's saying. 
But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So, again, Festus recognizes, okay, this man's innocent. But, to do the Jews a favor, right here, but Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, really delivering Paul over. And Paul knows that, the council knows that, and Festus knows that. Okay, so... We know that he, in the historical narrative anyway, or historically, he wasn't as evil as Felix, but he's just as, and we see this same thing with our Lord, with Jesus Christ, that his trial with Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate kept on saying, I, I, I see nothing deserving of death in this man. Why? They keep on crying, crucify him, crucify him. Why? I see nothing wrong in him. And then he washes his hands and says, I'm guilty of this man's blood, which is just because you wash your hands. In Hamlet, the, the queen washes her hands out, out, spot, damn it, spot, out. It's the same thing. What he's doing is, is vainly showing his innocence where he isn't innocent, but out of political pragmatism, that's why he delivered Jesus over just to quell the crowds, just to quell the mob, just to appease the wickedness of these men. Festus is doing the same thing. So, Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Paul is saying, Again, I've been here for over two years. I've been dealing with this everywhere I go anyway, but here I am, imprisoned, looking at death, looking at death, and look, I, and we've seen his encounter with the brethren and everything. He is more than willing to die. So he's even saying, look, if I've done anything, I'm not trying to you know, defend myself vainly, you know, as if I did do something wrong and I'm just trying to keep myself safe. What he's saying is, if I actually did something wrong, if I did evil, something deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them, including you, Governor. If I have done nothing wrong, if I am innocent, then justice demands I should not be turned over to them. But he's in an impasse. He is at an impasse. We see that he has stayed there for two years. And remember, Jesus had told him, as you testified to me in Jerusalem, so you will testify to me in Rome. And Paul spends that whole time not making that happen. Again, he will not go until God sends him over. Now, he's left with no other option. Now, so he appeals to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. This is this is a protection for Romans, okay? This is an ability for Roman citizens to, when, when there basically any appeal, just like we see in our own time, when, when you know, there's a lawsuit and, and you know, it's, it's judged such a way in this district court, and then, you know, the, the defendant or whomever appeals to the higher court, and then they don't like that judgment, so they appeal to the higher court until the Supreme Court, right? Caesar, ultimately, is the Supreme Court. 
So he's basically saying, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to the highest authority. This is not just, and I know you are going to hand me over to the Jews, and I will be killed and unjustly. So I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. But, uh, I'm sorry, then Festus, when he had confirmed with, conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So he you know, talks among his guys for a second, and he's probably trying to calm the, count, the Jewish council down. They don't like this. They know now Paul is out of their reach. They have no chance in killing Paul now. He has appealed to Caesar, and he will be delivered over to Caesar. So they are probably very upset right now. So he's probably trying to, you know, tame them as well and talking among his, his men. But he has no option here. When a Roman appeals to Caesar, to Caesar he must go. But Festus, Festus is probably really happy about this. This kind of fixes his problem, right? Without actually having to do anything. He didn't have to actually deliver Paul up to the, uh, to the Jews unjustly. And, you know, he didn't have to deal with any of that. Basically, he could just send him over to, to Caesar, and that's, now that's the problem. It's gone away, and now he's good. So, he says, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Okay. As I told you, Drusilla was a daughter, a very young daughter of Agrippa I. That's the one who came out in those shining garments, and the angel of the Lord struck him dead, right? So, Agrippa II is his eldest son, okay? Now, Bernice is his sister. Drusilla is also his sister. Drusilla was apparently very beautiful. She, I mean, right now, she's not even 20. But Agrippa II and Bernice, they're not married, but they are together. It's a brother and a sister. Incestual relationship, condemned by God at this, you know, we've seen it you know, after the flood account when the population was quite small, you know, this, this was a different situation. But now, now this is a, this is a gross, uh, this is a gross deal. When they had been there many days, Festus late, uh, also just real quickly, again, so Drusilla is their sister as well. Bernice was very jealous of Drusilla because she was so beautiful. However, so, Agrippa and Bernice are their, her siblings, so they're probably coming down. Festus has just become governor, so they're probably coming down to congratulate him, see how things are. Agrippa's over this territory too, okay? So that's probably what they're doing. So that's what they're, that's what's going on here. So uh, when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix among, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. So he's just telling him what happened. To them I answered, it is not custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accused, accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. And he admits, when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions about, against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died whom Paul affirmed to be alive. This word religion really means superstition. Festus doesn't care for the Jews. His wife is a Jew, but she's probably a nominal Jew. Agrippa and her siblings, so Drusilla's siblings, Agrippa and Bernice, obviously are nominal Jews. We will see in the next account, however, 
Seems like Paul's testimony is really piercing the heart of Agrippa. It begins to. Okay, we'll see that in the next account. However, right now we, we know this is an incestuous relationship. It's, it's an evil relationship, but um, that's what, again, this is what's happening at this particular time. So, the religion is really superstition. So, they had some questions about him, about their own superstition, and about certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul... This is another word. It's used four times in the New Testament. It basically means to profess knowing it's a lie. When, when the, the council, when the, when the leaders had consented to Tertullus's, remember his, his, his testimony, which they all knew was spurious and, and was wrong, and they assented to that, it's the same word. So they professed that which they knew was not true. Festus is, you know, kind of making fun of him here. Okay, this is, this is a derogatory thing. I mean, behind his back, but that's what he's doing. He doesn't believe in this stuff at all, which will play a part next week because... Anyway, so it'll play a part next week. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. Now, what he should have done is let him go. They came. He even admits they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. There's nothing in this testimony. Again, now Festus heard it for himself for the first time. There's nothing in this testimony as deserving of death that, like I supposed. You know, I went and hung out with them for 10 days in Jerusalem, and they kept on talking about all this mob, all this tumult that Paul is raising up everywhere. And then they finally come, and I don't hear anything of the sort. I don't hear anything of the kind. I hear them talking about a bunch of theological problems, you know, nothing deserving of death, certainly nothing I suppose, nothing that they were telling me in Jerusalem. I don't know what happened to that, but that's what happened. And so he should have just let him go. But instead, he says, and, and Agrippa would agree with this, out of its practicality, out of its pragmatism. So you knew he was innocent, and yet to appease the Jews, you still wanted to send him to Jerusalem, right? And that's what Festus is saying. Uh, so, Asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, it's another name for Caesar. The first, I mean, obviously, Julius Caesar was the first emperor, but the, the one after him, Octavian, was called Caesar Augustus. It, it comes from August. You know, he's great. He's grand. It's kind, of, it's kind of a holy kind of a thing. He's kind of making himself out to be God in that way. God is August, you know, that kind of a thing. So he's calling him Augustus. He's very loyal to the Romans. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And God willing, we will consider his defense next week. What I want to do, since this is a fairly short account, and as we go next week into his much longer defense, much longer defense, and I think this is really more reflective of what it actually was in those, and, and so Luke waits for the climax of the story to give a fuller defense. So as we go into that, and then as we see him go to Rome and, and the hazardous journey that's involved there, and then once he's in Rome, I want to consider and reconsider a few passages we've looked at. First going to 2 Timothy, which again is, is, is before his imminent martyrdom. He knows he's going to be killed, um, and so he's writing to Timothy. Oops. One second. So first Timothy, I mean, 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the time began. Before time began. So, first, not be ashamed. So, let us hear the apostle in prison speaking to us. This is meant for Timothy. This is meant for us. Okay. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You know, a lot of times when a fellow Christian, fellow brother and sister, suffers, that will strike fear into men, and they will lie down, stay seated, and not rise up to the occasion like we saw in our previous study. So he's saying, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. This is, he's still very faithful in this. Don't, don't make this to be some sort of sign that maybe, maybe the power of God isn't as strong as we thought, or maybe, you know, it's not as true as we thought. No, he's just as faithful. He's just as true in his imprisonment. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me. Share with me. Join me. You know, not, don't only, not only don't let this strike terror in you to where it just stuns you still. Share with me in these sufferings. This is our calling. This is our calling. As was our Lord's. As is the testimony in the Old Testament. Especially the leaders that, that, that God raises up. So, share with me in the sufferings. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, which we've talked about. Election, you know, according to his own purpose. God called us and saved us according to his purpose. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose. According to his providence, according to his will, and according to his volition, his grace, his mercy, his son. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There we see light again. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. So, for this reason also I suffer, because we've seen it's because he's going to the Gentile, Gentiles. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He knows his Lord. He knows his God. And no matter what happens to him, he knows that, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Basically, my soul. I have committed my soul to him because he has bought it with his blood. Hold fast the pattern, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. And faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good things which was committed to you by, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom, oh, I'm sorry, let's go to uh, chapter 4. Let's continue here. Just starting at verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So again, he, he will judge the living and the dead. Another translation is the quick and the dead. He is the judge of all the earth. 
Preach the word. So again, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. No matter what time it is, no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what sufferings you're going through, whether it's dark, whether it's light, whether it's stupendous, whether it's glorious, whether it's depressing, no matter what, preach, testify, let nothing stop you, convince, rebuke, exhort. So again, convince. This is what he was continually doing in the, in the, in the synagogues, reasoning with the Jews. So convince, uh, rebuke, you know, correct, correct, gracefully or sometimes strongly, but correct, exhort, encourage, do all these things. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So this will be difficult. It, and you will, you must have long suffering. And let's go back to his love chapter. Long suffering is a part of humility and love. So do this with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears that will heap up from themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, which is the testimony of the corporate church today. She's full of itching ears, ready to be tickled by the vain speaking of the imaginations and the judgments of men and not his word. Fewer, sadly, today want to hear the actual testimony. And that's what I'm saying. We need a Deborah. We need a David. We need a man and a woman rise up in our time and be faithful to his word. And they will, okay. But you, but you, be watchful in all things. Take heed, keep watch, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. All of us have this same ministry. We are all called to evangelize. We are all called to testify to Christ. We'll get even back to that shortly. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. So basically he's saying, yes, my, I, my, my martyrdom is coming. But right now I'm already being offered. That, that martyrdom is already starting. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I pray to God that is our testimony. That day will come. That last moment on this earth will come for all of us. This is the cry of a clear conscience. And I pray we all can say this. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also all, to all who have loved his appearing. Remember, the previous account we had just read, in, in chapter 1, he was talking about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called us to himself. So he's saying, not, not, this crown is not just for Paul. It's for all of those who have fought the good fight. And all of those who have finished the race. And for all of those who have kept the faith. Not for all of those who had the faith. Not for all of those who started the race. Not for all of those who started fighting the good fight, who did rise up to go 
to go fight Sisera, you know, and his armies for a time. And then the, when the going got tough, they took off. No. Those who have fought the good fight, the good fight, his, his spiritual battle, which we have talked about. We do not bear swords. We do not bear actual weaponry. We use his word. I have finished the race. We finish the race. And we keep the faith. Last. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Very briefly. Starting at verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet, if, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Let then each one's praise will come from God. So this follows. In chapter 3, he talks a lot about, you know, these brothers are judging each other, you know, and they're, they're, they're wanting to sue each other in court. And he's basically rebuking them for that. You know, you are brothers and sisters together. I mean, y'all should be able to settle your differences together. You know, you don't need a human court. He even says, you know, he doesn't need, he doesn't trust himself to any human court. He doesn't care about a human court. So, but he's saying, you know, don't judge each other. That is not your call. You're called to rebuke. You're called to exhort. You're called to encourage. And you are called to seek, to change, and seek peace. But you are not called to judge, right? What he talks about here, okay. Let man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, that is who we are. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that... So, they are judging him. Remember, 1 Corinthians is all about him kind of defending these, these, these spurious allegations of him. Uh, and like, maybe he's not actually an apostle. And remember, I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Paul. I am of Jesus Christ. These are the same people. So, he's saying... Uh, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, but with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. So, remember, his conscience is clear, right? Yet, I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Okay, quickly. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And we'll finish with this last line. So, basically, what he's saying is, salvation, we will not, salvation is, it, it, when we come to Christ, is done. That judgment is over. However, he will still judge the righteous. He will still judge us for what we either do or not do. He will reward us. And he talks about being saved as though through fire. So some, since they don't serve the Lord at all, are still saved in Christ because Christ has still purchased them with, the with his blood. However, they're almost saved as through fire. You know, they barely make it. They barely make it. They don't, they don't serve God at all. They just sit back, appreciate the cross, and make it to heaven by a thread. Christ will judge us as well. Let us never forget that. We do not seek to serve our God 
because we fear hell. We seek to serve God, that we might gain that crown of righteousness to lay at his feet the gems, the stones, the pearls that he enriches us with are his. And they are meant to be given over to our king. They are not ours. However, it is a crown for us. He has won that crown of righteousness for us, and he is waiting for us to give it to us. But let us seek that crown. Let us seek to finish that race. Let us seek to run it as hard as we possibly know how. We're a small assembly here. God can do much with very few. It just takes one. <laughs> it can just take one man or woman. You are of a younger generation, and I pray you hear his call, and you rise up, and your generation stand out. You are not of the world anymore, so walk no longer according to the world. You are Christ. Live for him, and in him, not yourselves. Start this now. You're young enough to start this now and make a great impact for God and for his name. And when you see your Lord Jesus Christ and you have finished the race, you have fought the good fight, and you have kept the faith, and he is giving you the crown, then each one's praise will come from Heaven, heaven, we will forever and eternally praise God. On that day, God will praise his servants. I, I can't even tell you what that does to me. I just can't tell you. Words don't explain that. Words don't do it any justice. We are praised. <laughs> that hopefully we're so devoted to giving over to him, he can't wait, cannot wait on that day to say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, come and turn to my rest. What a love, what a love, what great faithfulness. Let us reflect that same faithfulness and rise up in our day, a holy witness Holy fire, we cannot make an awakening. We cannot create a revival. No, we seek to do his will. And he is faithful. He is faithful. So, seek him. Seek him. Evening, morning, all the day long. For the rest of your lives, that you might finish the race. You might keep the faith. Bear that crown gladly, which Christ is anxiously <laughs> waiting to give to you. Praise be to our amazing, faithful, 
loving God forever. Let's pray. Father and our God, your holiness, your righteousness, your faithfulness, your love and your truth, your affection for your people has no likeness. What can we say of something so far-reaching, so beyond the framework of our own conception and our own ability to even conceive things? Even so, God, you are God. Show us these mysteries. Show us these high and wonderful things that are beyond our grasp, even that there are but a glimpse. Speak, my God, your servant listens. Rise up in your sons and daughters, a holy flame. May your word reach at last the ends of the world. May your name be lifted up high now and forever. It's in your son's name we ask it. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.